Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, aka The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give my podcast five stars. Also, follow me on all of my social media platforms. The Gratitude Chick for both Instagram and Facebook, Gratitude underscore Chick for Twitter, and on TikTok, Babes Who Manifest. Also, for all of my reading babes, check out the new reading merch on the website, www.bwmmerch.com. Welcome back to another reading, or what do I call it? Your reading corner with the Gratitude Chick. We are picking up back on still reading The Alchemist, and we are, we left off where um, the boy had found kind of the love of his life, and you know, they had a conversation about being together and things like that. So we are going back. Um, and, you know, he was traveling out into the sand. I think he's about to have an experience with the alchemist. But let's see what happens. And just a reminder, I do read with my own commentary. If you are new, this is the first episode you're listening to. This is, I think, episode seven. So go back and listen to episode one to start the book over. Okay. He felt sleepy in his heart. He wanted to remain awake, but he also wanted to sleep. I am learning the language of the world, and everything in the world is beginning to make sense to me. Even the flight of the hawks, he said to himself. And in that mood, he was grateful to be in love. When you are in love, things make even more sense, he thought. Suddenly, one of the hawks made a flashing dive through the sky, attacking the other. As it did so, a sudden fleeting image came to the boy. An army with its sword, swords at the ready, riding into the oasis. The vision vanished immediately, but it had shaken him. He had heard people speak of mirages and had already seen some himself. They were desires that because of their intensity materialized over the sands of the desert. But he certainly didn't desire that an army invade the oasis. He wanted to forget about the vision and return to his meditation. He tried again to concentrate on the pink shades of the desert and its stones, but there was something there in his heart that wouldn't allow him to do so. Always heed the omens, the old king had said. The boy recalled what he had seen in the vision and sensed that it was actually going to occur. He rose and made his way back toward the palm trees. Once again, he perceived the many languages and the things about him. This time, the desert was safe, and it was the oasis that had become dangerous. The camel driver was seated at the base of a palm tree, observing the sunset. He saw the boy appear from the other side of the dunes. An army is coming, he, uh, the boy said. I had a vision. The desert fills men's hearts with visions, the camel driver answered. But the boy told him about the hawks, that he had been watching their flight, and had suddenly felt himself to have plunged to the soul of the world. The camel driver understood what the boy was saying. He knew that any given, I'm sorry, that any given thing on the face of the earth could reveal the history of all things. One could open a book to any page or look at a person's hand. 
one could turn a card or watch the flight of the birds. Whatever the thing observed, one could find a connection with his experience of the moment. Actually, it wasn't that those things in themselves revealed anything at all. It was just that people looking at what was occurring around them could find a means of penetration to the soul of the world. The desert was full of men who earned their living based on the ease with which they could penetrate to the soul of the world. They were known as seers and they were held in fear by women and the elderly. Tribesmen were also wary of consulting them because it would be impossible to be effective in battle if one knew that he was fated to die. The tribesmen preferred the state of battle and the thrill of not knowing what the outcome would be. The future was already written by Allah, and what he had written was always for the good of man. So the tribesmen lived only for the present because the present was full of surprises. And I always tell you guys, live for today. And they had to be aware of many things. Where was the enemy sword? Where was his horse? What kind of blow should one deliver next in order to remain alive? The camel driver was not a fighter, and he had consulted with seers. Many of them had been right about what they said, while some had been wrong. Then one day, the oldest seer he had ever sought out, and the one most to be feared, had asked why the camel driver was so interested in the future. Well, so I can do things, he had responded, and so I can change those things that I don't want to happen. But then they wouldn't be a part of your future, the seer had said. Well, maybe I just want to know the future so I can prepare myself for what's coming. If good things are coming, they will be a pleasant surprise, said the seer. If bad things are, and you know in advance, you will suffer greatly before they even occur. So, this, is, this isn't really the reason why I don't do, like, um, aura readings and tarot card readings. I just, I don't believe that any one person has the ability to show me my future. I believe if God wanted me to know my future, he would tell me himself. So I don't believe in, you know, people being able to tell me my future. You don't know me. So that's, but this is a good reason why not to consult. I want to know about the future because I'm a man, the camel driver has said to the seer. And men always live their lives based on the future. And see, what he said here to me was wrong. He said, and men always live their lives based on the future. If you always live your life based on a future time that may not ever come, you will never, ever enjoy this moment right now. You will always miss what's happening every day to you because you're living for a day that, guess what? When it comes, you're going to be still living for that day. But the day already came and it's past. And you haven't recognized it because you're still living for the future. Even though when the future comes, it is today. So that's why I always tell you, live for today. The seer was a specialist in the casting of twigs. He threw them on the ground and made interpretations based on how they fell. That day, he didn't make a cast. He wrapped the twigs in a piece of cloth and put them back in his bag. I make my living forecasting the future for people, he said. I know the science of the twigs, and I know how to use them to penetrate to the place where all is written. There I can read the past, discover what has already been forgotten, and understand the omens that are here in the present. 
When people consult me, it's not that I'm reading the future. I am guessing at the future, which is what I believe people do. The future belongs to God. Boom. And it only reveals, and, it, and only he reveals it under extraordinary circumstances. Correct. I literally just said that. I would not go to someone to guess what may happen. And, and here, here's what I really think happens is that when people go to someone else to predict their future or read their horoscope or anything like that, it is a prediction. I think the horoscopes are predicting things based off of the sign that you fall under, okay? And then people believe it. And be it the Bible tells us, be it unto you as you believe. So if you go to someone and you believe that what they're saying to you is true and it comes to pass, it is not coming to pass because that person said it. It's coming to pass because you have attached your belief to it. And whatever you believe to be true is true for you. So it is not that this person can predict your future. It is that you believe that they can. And that is why whatever you believed that they said has come true for you. That is the same way I believe uh, about horoscopes. When the horoscope says this and this or avoid this and that and people believe it so much, especially people who chart this and chart that, you believe those things. And that is why it comes to pass. Period. It is not because that uh, there is a person on earth that could tell you your future. Your future, our future is set with God, the universe, whatever higher power that you believe in. That is what our future is set with. Whatever you call them, God for me. My future is set with God. There is no person on earth that could tell me my future. God can tell me my future himself if he wants to. But there is not a person walking that could tell me my future. So just just understand that part. Again, this is just my opinion. But understand, when you think about it, if you've ever, you know, looked at a sign or did a tarot card or whatever and you started believing and it came to pass, it's because you believed it. Not because these cards or this person had had the ability to tell you anything. It's because you believe that. Just in it's in similar to people who say things are hereditary. When a doctor tells you something is hereditary, you believe it, so it happens to you. I don't believe, um, and, and that's not to say in all things. I'm no doctor, but I don't believe, for instance, my grandmother who contracted um, diabetes, she, this was not in her you know, bloodline. She, couldn't, she ate a certain way and got type 2 diabetes. Well, it's not hereditary for me. I'm not going to get it. But when I was told that I'm I'm going to get it because that person got it because they believed it was hereditary, that don't have nothing to do with me. That that's, has to do with you and how you believe. Again, be it unto you as you believe. What you believe to be true is true for you. It doesn't mean that it's true, period. It's just true for you in your life. That's what you have called in. That's what you have attracted to you. So, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get back to reading. Okay. How do I guess at the future? Based on the omens of the present. The secret is here in the present. If you pay attention to the present, you can approve upon it. 
if you improve on the present, what comes later will also be better. And so what, to me, what this is saying is him, his prediction of the future is basically, if I improve today, then tomorrow has to be better because I improved today. And if that is your prediction of the future, I'll take that. I will take that every day. Luanza, if you improve on this right here, then tomorrow is going to be better for this because you improved today on that. That is a prediction I will take because I believe that. Okay, get back. Forget about the future and live each day according to the teachings confident that God loves his children. Each day in itself brings with it an eternity. The camel driver had asked what the circumstances were under which God would allow him to see the future. Only when he himself reveals it and God only rarely reveals the future. When he does so, it is for only one reason. It's the future that was written so as to be altered. Uh, I don't know, but I don't know about that part. I mean, it could be true. I don't know. God has shown the boy a part of the future. The cam- and, and, and that could be, you know, I, I'm not even going to say I don't know it to be true because I do believe that um, God does show us things to say, hey, watch out. So, yeah, I, I, I'll agree with that. God has shown the boy a part of the future, the camel driver thought. Why was it that he wanted the boy to serve as his instrument? Go and speak to the tribal chieftains, said the camel driver. Tell them about the armies that are approaching. They'll laugh at me. They are men of the desert, and the men of the desert are used to dealing with omens. Well, then they probably already know. They're not concerned with that right now. They believe that if they have to know about something, Allah wants them to know. Someone will tell them about it. It has happened many times before, but this time the person is you. The boy thought about Fatima, and he decided he would go to see the chiefs of the tribes. The boy approached the guard at the front of the huge white tent at the center of the oasis. I want to see the chieftains. I've brought omens from the desert. Without responding, the guard entered the the tent, where he remained for some time. When he emerged, it was with a young Arab dressed in white and gold. The boy told the younger man what he had seen, and the man asked him to wait there. He disappeared into the tent. Night fell and an assortment of fighting men and merchants entered and exited the tent. One by one, the campfires were extinguished and the oasis fell as quiet as the desert. Only the lights in the great tent remained. During all this time, the boy thought about Fatima and he was still unable to understand his last conversation with her. Finally, after hours of waiting, the guard bade the boy enter. The boy was astonished by what he saw inside. Never could he have imagined that there in the middle of the desert, there existed a tent like this one. The ground was covered with the most beautiful carpets he had ever walked upon, and from the top of the structure hung lamps of hand-wrought gold, each with a lighted candle. The, The tribal chieftains were seated at the back of the tent in a semicircle resting upon richly embroidered silk cushions. Servants came and went with silver trays laden with spices and tea. Other servants maintained the fires and the hookahs. The atmosphere was suffused with sweet scent of smoke. There were eight chieftains, but the boy could see immediately which of them was the most important. An Arab dressed in white and gold, seated at the center of the semicircle. 
At his side was the young Arab the boy had spoken with earlier. Who is the stranger who speaks of omens? Asked one of the chieftains, eyeing the boy. It is I, the boy answered, and he told what he had seen. Why would the desert reveal such things to a stranger when it knows that we have been here for generations? Said another of the chieftains. Because my eyes are not yet accustomed to the desert, the boy said. I can see things that I, that eyes habituated to the desert might not see. And also because I know about the soul of the world, he thought to himself. The oasis is neutral ground. No one attacks an oasis, said a third chieftain. I can only tell you what I saw. If you don't want to believe me, you don't have to do anything about it. The, mil- the men fell into an animated discussion. They spoke in an Arabic dialect that the boy didn't understand. But when he made to leave, the guard told him to stay. The boy became fearful. The omens told him that something was wrong. He regretted having spoke to the camel driver about what he had seen in the desert. Suddenly, the elder at the center smiled almost imperceptibly, and the boy felt better. The man hadn't participated in the discussion, in the discussion and in fact, hadn't said a word up to that point. But the boy was already used to the language of the world, and he could feel the vibrations of peace through the tent. That's deep. How much further would we be in life if we had no distractions like social media, TV, and all these things? How close would we be to the language of the world that we could feel the vibrations of peace throughout throughout wherever we are? I feel like when I was younger... I may have been able to do that because, you know, when I was younger, we weren't able to watch that much TV and there was no social media. So maybe when I was younger, you know, like a kid or whatever, I probably was able to feel stuff like that. But now, child. Now his intuition was that he had been right in coming. The discussion ended. The chieftains were silent for a few moments as they listened to what the old man was saying. Then he turned to the boy. This time, the expression was cold and distant. Two thousand years ago, in a distant land, a man who believed in dreams was thrown into a dungeon and then sold as a slave. The old man said now in the dialect the boy understood. Our merchants bought that man and brought him to Egypt. All of us know that whoever believes in dreams also knows how to interpret them. The older continued, when the pharaoh dreamed of cows that were thin and cows that were fat, this man I'm speaking of rescued Egypt from famine. His, oh, I was about to say, is it Joseph? His name was Joseph. He too was a stranger in a strange land like you, and he was probably about your age. He paused and his eyes were still unfriendly. We always observe the tradition. The tradition saved Egypt from famine in those days and made the Egyptians the wealthiest of peoples. The tradition uh, teaches men how to cross the desert and how their children should marry. The tradition says that an oasis is neutral territory because both sides have oasis and so both are vulnerable. No one said a word as the old man continued. But the tradition also says that we should believe the messages of the desert. Everything we know was taught to us by the desert. The old man gave a signal and everyone stood. The meeting was over. The hookahs were extinguished and the guard stood at attention. The boy made ready to leave, but the old man spoke again. Tomorrow we are going to break the agreement that says that no one at the oasis may carry arms. 
Throughout the entire day, we will be on the lookout for our enemies. When the sun sets, the men will once again surrender their arms to me. For every ten dead men among our enemies, you will receive a piece of gold. Whoa. But arms cannot be drawn unless they also go into battle. Arms are as capricious as the desert, and if they are not used, the next time they may not they might not function. If at least one of them hasn't been used by the end of the day tomorrow, one will be used on you. Woof. Eesh. When the boy left the tent, the oasis was illuminated only by the light of the full moon. That is deep. So basically, if we haven't killed anybody, you dead. Oh my. He was 20 minutes from his tent and began to make his way there. He was alarmed by what had happened. He had succeeded in his in reaching through to the soul of the world, and now the price for having done so might be his life. It was a frightening bet, but he had been making risky bets ever since the day he had sold his sheep to pursue his personal legend. And as the camel driver had said, to die tomorrow was no worse than die on any other day. Every day was there to be lived or to mark one's departure from this world. Everything depended on one word, mocked up. Walking along in the silence, he had no regrets. If he died tomorrow, it would be because God was not willing to change the future. He would at least have died after having crossed the strait, after having worked in a crystal shop, and after having known the silence of the desert and Fatima's eyes. He had lived every one of his days intensely since he had left home so long ago. If he died tomorrow, he would already have seen more than other shepherds, and he was proud of that. Suddenly he heard a thundering sound, and he was thrown to the ground by a wind such as he had never known. The area was swirling in dust, so intense that it hid the moon from view. Before him was an enormous white horse rearing over him with a frightening scream. When the blinding dust had settled a bit, the boy trembled at what he saw. Astride the animal was a horseman dressed completely in black, with a falcon dressed perched on his shoulder. He wore a turban, and his entire face, except for his eyes, was covered with a black kerchief. He appeared to be a messenger from the desert, but his presence was much more powerful than that of a mere messenger. The strange horseman drew an enormous curved sword from a scabbard mounted on his saddle. The steel of its blade glittered in the light of the moon. Who dares to read the meaning of the flight of the hawks, he demanded so loudly that his words seemed to echo through the 50,000 palms, palm trees of El Fayum. It is I who dare to do so, said the boy. He was reminded of the image of Santiago Matamoros, mounted on his white horse with the infidels beneath his hooves. This man looked exactly the same, except that now the roles were reversed. It is I who dare to do so, he repeated, and he lowered his head to receive a blow from the sword. Many lives will be saved because I was able to see through the soul of the world. The sword didn't fall. Instead, the stranger lowered it slowly until the point touched the boy's head. It drew a droplet of blood. The horseman was completely immobile, as was the boy. It didn't even occur to the boy to flee. In his heart, he felt a strange sense of joy. It was about, he was about to die in pursuit of his personal legend and for Fatima. He really loved this girl, huh? The omens had been true after all. Here he was face to face with his enemy, but there was no need to be concerned about dying. The soul of the world awaited him and he would soon be a part of it. 
and tomorrow his enemy will also be a part of that soul. The stranger continued to hold the sword at the boy's forehead. Why did you read the flight of the birds? I read only what the birds wanted to tell me. They wanted to save the oasis. Tomorrow all of you will die because there are more men at the oasis than you have. The sword remained where it was. Who are you to change what Allah has willed? Allah created the armies and he also created the hawks. Allah taught me the language of the birds. Everything has been written by the same hand, the boy said, remembering the camel driver's word. The stranger withdrew the sword from the boy's forehead and the boy felt immensely better, or excuse me, immensely relieved, but he still couldn't flee. Be careful with your prognostications, prognostications, said the stranger. When something is written, there is no way to change it. All I saw was an army, said the boy. I didn't see the outcome of the battle. The stranger seemed satisfied with the answer, but he kept the sword in his hand. What is a stranger doing in a strange land? I am following my personal legend. It's not something you would understand. The stranger placed his sword in its scabbard, and the boy relaxed. I had to test your courage, the stranger said. Courage is the quality most essential to understanding the language of the world. The boy was surprised. The stranger was speaking of things that very few people knew about. You must not let up even after coming so far. He continued, you must love the desert, but never trust it completely because the the desert tests all men. It challenges every step and kills those who become distracted. What he said reminded the boy of the old king. If the warriors come here and your head is still on your shoulders at sunset, come and find me, said the stranger. The same hand that had brandished the sword now held a whip. The horse reared again, raising a cloud of dust. Where do you live, shouted the boy as the horseman rode away. The hand with the whip pointed to the south. The boy had met the alchemist. Next morning, there were 2,000 armed men scattered throughout the palm trees at Al-Fayyum. Before the sun had reached its high point, 500 tribesmen appeared on the horizon. The mounted troops entered the oasis from the north. It appeared to be a peaceful expedition, but they all carried arms hidden in their robes. When they reached the white tent at the center of Al-Fayyum, they withdrew their Semiters and rifles, and they attacked an empty tent. The men of the oasis surrounded the horsemen from the desert, and within half an hour, all but one of the intruders were dead. The children, the children had been kept at the other side of the grove of palm trees and saw nothing of what had happened. The women had remained in their tents, praying for the safekeeping of their husbands, and saw nothing of the battle either. Were it not for the bodies there on the ground, it would have appeared to be a normal day at the oasis. The only tribesman spared was the commander of the battalion. That afternoon, he was brought before the tribal chieftains who asked him why he had violated the tradition. The commander said that his men had been starving and thirsty, exhausted from many days of battle, and decided to take the oasis so as to be able to to return to the war. The tribal chieftain said that he felt sorry for the tribesmen, but that the tradition was sacred. He condemned the commander to death without honor. Rather than being killed by a blade or a bullet, he was hanged from a dead palm tree, where his body twisted in the desert wind. 
The tribal chieftain called for the boy and presented him with 50 pieces of gold. He repeated his story about Joseph of Egypt and asked the boy to become the counselor of the oasis. When the sun had set and the first stars made their appearance, the boy started to, to walk to the south. He eventually sighted a single tent and a group of Arabs passing by told the boy that it was a place inhabited by genies. But the boy sat down and waited. Not until the moon was high did the alchemist ride into view. He carried two dead hawks over his shoulder. I am here, the boy said. You shouldn't be here, the alchemist answered. Or is it your personal legend that brings you here? With the wars between the, tri the tribes, it's impossible to cross the desert. So I have come here. The alchemist dismounted from his horse and signaled that the boy should enter the tent with him. It was a tent like many at the oasis. The boy looked around for the ovens and, and other apparatus used in alchemy, but saw none. There were only some books and a, and a pile, a small cooking stove, and the carpets covered with mysterious designs. Sit down, we'll have something to drink and eat these hawks, said the alchemist. The boy suspected that they were the same hawks he had seen on the day before, but he said nothing. The alchemist lighted the fire and soon a delicious aroma filled the tent. It was better than the scent of the hookahs. Why did you want to see me? The boy asked. Because of the omens, the alchemist answered. The wind told me you would be coming and that you would need help. It's not I the wind spoke about. It's the other foreigner, the Englishman. He's the one that's looking for you. He has other things to do first, but he's on the right track. He has begun to try to understand the desert. And what about me? When a person really desires something, all the universe conspires to help that person to realize his dream. This is a common theme throughout this book. I hope you guys are listening. I'm going to say it again. When a person really desires something, all the universe conspires to help that person to realize his dreams said the alchemist, echoing the words of the old king. The boy understood. Another person was there to help him toward his personal legend. So you are going to instruct me? No, you already know all you need to know. I am only going to point you in the direction of your treasure. But there's a tribal war, said the, uh, the boy reiterated. I know what's happening in the desert. I have already found my treasure. I have a camel. I have my money from the crystal shop and I have 50 gold pieces. In my own country, I would be a rich man. But none of that is from the pyramids, said the alchemist. I also have Fatima. She is a treasure greater than anything else I have won. She wasn't found at the pyramids either. They ate in silence. The alchemist opened a bottle and poured a red liquid into the boy's cup. It was the most delicious wine he had ever tasted. Isn't wine prohibited here, the boy asked. It's not what enters men's mouths that's evil, said the alchemist. It's, what's com it's what comes out of their mouths that is. The alchemist was a bit daunting, but as the boy drank the wine, he relaxed. After they finished eating, they sat outside the tent under a moon so brilliant that it made the stars pale. Drink and enjoy yourself, said the alchemist, noticing that the boy was feeling happier. Rest well tonight as if you were a warrior preparing for combat. Remember that wherever your heart is, there you will find your treasure. You've got to find the treasure so that everything you have learned along the way can make sense. 
Tomorrow, sell your camel and buy a horse. Camels are traitorous. They walk thousands of paces and never seem to tire. Then suddenly they kneel and die. But horses tire bit by bit. You always know how much you can ask of them and when it is when it is that they are about to die. Okay, so we are going to stop here because we are at the around 30 minute mark. So we're going to stop here and pick this up on Tuesday. We are almost, we're at 63% and we have about 50 pages left. So I would say maybe about three more episodes and we'll be done with this book. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Um, it's, it's, it's a good book, isn't it? It's pretty fascinating. I like this story because it's literally a an actual story with so many gems that you just make sure that you clue into and pick up. So I definitely suggest that you guys go and get this book and read it for yourselves. Again, thank you guys for listening in today. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life. I promise you, your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, a.k.a. The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to subscribe to me on YouTube at The Gratitude Chick. Make sure to click in my description box for the link to paid surveys, manifesting merchandise, and much more.